Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name's Samos. I'm with my good friend, Matthew Garber. Hello. He's singing. We'll for sure auto-tune that one. And today, we have a very exciting exciting episode. I love this topic. Matt thought of it while he was in a marketing meeting, I think. Don't tell the boss. He is the boss. <laughs> and uh, today's topic is, should a mastering engineer have a sound? And uh, this, I think, will be a very interesting episode because until you have really made a lot of records, I think it's hard to even understand what sound is, how you get a sound, and how your sound may be influenced by the community around you and the records you make. So, Matt, Mm. would you like to do some housekeeping? Are Ah, you up I knew as soon (laughs) as you said, do you want me to do the intro? Uh, I knew as soon as uh, I said yes and you started rolling. I was like, Matt, we we know what we just signed up for. Yep. Hand Give off. me that sequin jacket, Sam. Taking it off, zip, putting it on you. It was zipper, not buttons for some reason. <laughs> huh. Huh. All right. Housekeeping for you. Go. Cue the music. Cue Hello, me. family, friends. Those of you who are lost on, the, on, on their way to another podcast, welcome. <laughs> what do we say in this? I haven't, we haven't podcasted in like two or three weeks. <laughs> are you trying to bail out of housekeeping right now. No, I honestly can't remember what we say in housekeeping. Normally what we would say and is... And I normally listen to I normally listen to this podcast while I mow my lawn, but right. I haven't had like a new episode to listen to. <laughs> so I forget. Well, anyway, normally do you I remember? think we ask people to like su- subscribe and comment to our podcast if they like it. So, friends, family, lovely family dogs. We're not including cats on this one. (laughs) If you are a patron of this podcast, if you wouldn't mind going over, liking, subscribing, I don't even know that's a thing, (laughs) signing up for, commenting, leaving stars, comments, sending us an email, that's always great. Fancy. Yeah, I just forwarded Sam one today. (laughs) Sam's going to be giving a lecture. Will the lecture be out by the time this podcast is out? Who knows? Not true. Um, So... Yeah, if you can do that, that'd be great. Uh, if you need a mastering engineer, you got me, you got Sam. Me with a bad memory, apparently. Um, a little rusty here. But, yeah, that'd be great. So, what are we talking about today, Sam? Is that the end of housekeeping? I think that's I the end so. of housekeeping. You actually did a pretty... Did I butcher the living crap out of it? You know, you didn't do too bad. You got in all the meat and potatoes, so... Mm, I love meat and potatoes. You know, so the butcher was did all right with the meat. The potatoes, though, we're going to have to work on. We'll see how that thing sounds in post. <laughs> so today's topic, Matt, which you so wonderfully thought of, and then I said, Matt, it's a brilliant topic. We should do that. Is should a mastering engineer have a sound? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people get really obsessed with sound. Like, what does gear sound like? Or Neve sounds like this? Or so-and-so's work sounds like this? Or they sound like their mixes are always warm? Or they sound so loud? And sound is kind of this ambiguous thing that everyone is after. And then sometimes we talk about people have a sound and it's an iconic sound. And a lot of people I know want to have a sound because they think that sound... (laughs) 
will give them a career or make them famous because it's something unique. So Matt, I'm going to tee you up and let's mm. just dive in here. We're going to dialogue today. We might dialogue a bit. Oh, hell Not yeah. sure if we are up to that four years in now dialoguing, but maybe. Can we take turns now in a, in a, <laughs> in a cordial manner? We can try. I'm down to try, but we just like to, you know, flap our lips. So, you know, it's weird. <laughs> yep. So anyway, Matt. What As you, Sam tries what, to hold what, back laughter, I guess what, we'll. Uh, what, uh, what do you? What do you? What do you? What do you? What do you, what do you think about should, should 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 your mastering engineer have a sound? <laughs> We're leaving that in. We're leaving all that. That'll, We're leaving all that. that in. That'll stay for sure. <laughs> um. So I believe a fantastic quote about like the whole, cause like how many times are like, do you run into the whole topic a year of like somebody coming up to you and saying, Hey dude, just quick, just curious. Do I have a sound or maybe somebody coming to you because you have a sound mm-hmm. or maybe we've asked each other, like should a mastering engineer have a sound or Hey, do you think that I have a sound? And, uh, I feel like having one could really pigeonhole you. But I mean, if you're that guy yeah. who people go to for that sound, yeah. then I mean, there's only like a few things like like a mental quality check that I go through that's like, okay, I, like, I can't stand like super, super bright stuff. And I get it. Some stuff has to just be bright because that's, we either can't control it that well or... Um, something just should not be moved that far, or maybe it like adds like a lot of cool stuff. Like maybe if I'm using like that like mass like deesser I have, I can switch it into MS mode to where like the deesser is only affecting the mid, and so it's like a harsh focal or something like right in the center, and so like you're just controlling that while you're letting the sides just go crazy. And it's I don't know sometimes it's just kind of the vibe that, that things are going for. That's yeah. really like my, my big thing. I want I want like the kick to be really solid. If like something's there, I want it to be really darn solid. And I I don't want in anything that comes out of my studio to be super fatiguing, mm-hmm. especially in the top end. Yeah. As far as like a sound goes, I would say that's about as far as I go. But it's like you also have people who tell you occasionally you know, you can take this and you can kind of have your own creative liberty with it as well. Right. So have you ever had that? Yeah, I mean, I would just note real quick on what you said, just thinking about what you were just saying, was perhaps it's easier to say what your sound is not, and Mm -hmm. that then brings clarity to what your sound is in this situation. Do you try to have a tone? I, I know... That I am like an energy bringer. That's what people have described, and that is, I'll say, what I have sought after to do is to make records not sound boring to me. Mm. And that has been my own personal quest for many years, even before I was mastering, was how do I make records that are not boring and so over the years, I've learned how to manipulate people's mixes to make them feel more interesting or energetic and have 
Um, I'll just say movement more than dynamics because a lot of what I do is not dynamic, honestly. <laughs> it's very compressed and loud, more loud more often. Um, and that's just kind of the genres I lean towards with kind of top 40 stuff. But I would say a lot of my sound, um, you know, is heavily dictated by the mixers that send me work. And we've mm-hmm. kind of talked about it before, which is that like your master can really kind of only be as good as your mix. Like the potential of what 100%. we can do is heavily based on what you give us. And then from there, if you work with consistent clients, say you have a dozen mixers that you always are working with every year, that kind of becomes your sound, which this segues honestly full circle and to the importance of picking good clients. <laughs> because your clients are going to dictate your sound and what mm-hmm. you represent. And I think that's something I never really thought about when I started because when I started, all I thought of was like, I just need work and I need money. So let me just transaction based. And if I could just get, I mean, that's how I started. When I started, all I thought about was if I can get 10 studios to give me an album a month and I charge them this, then I can make a living and blah, blah, blah. Like it was such a high focus on, okay, well then I need to talk to a hundred people a month and I get one exchange and blah, blah, and very calculated, which is, you can do that in business. Business is a numbers game and, and what we all do, we're, we're a business. But if I look back on it, some of the things I would have done different with regards to having a sound is I would have been more picky with who I worked with, which is what I do now, is I really try and find mixers that I'm a good fit for. And when I say good fit, honestly, a lot of that just has to do with do I like their sound, <laughs> which goes into like, who are they mixing records for? What producers do they work with? What artists do they work with? What labels do they work with? And do those people make the type of records I most likely like? So it's kind of this interesting thing of a lot of, you know, I think all my mixers would for sure say, like, I elevate and make them sound better, which then they in turn take and market to people because their drums sound bigger, their vocals sound more glued in after mastering. Everything sounds very, you know, commercial. Uh, you know, more so than their mix. And, um, you know, that's something they can go market. So that's, of course, something we've talked about before, which is like master engineers make everybody else sound better, which you can then go take that and market it, hopefully. But a lot of the last few years, the consistent mixers I work with, you know, I just adore their mixes. And so their sound becomes my sound in theory, um, which you know, is the importance of having a great team around you. And a lot of people don't think about that. So for the sake of dialogue, what say you about those things, Matt? <laughs> well, I would say it take it it kind of jumps back to uh something I think I was gonna say earlier great. that like me, I segue quite a bit. <laughs> um I always, always butcher Josh's last name. What is Josh like is it Bonanno? Ben, what, what, what is Josh's last name? Well, he always says I butcher it too. It's either Bonanno or Bonanno or Bonanno. <laughs> hey there, guys. Uh, I'm Josh Bonanno, and that is how you pronounce my name correctly. 
Josh Bonanno. Josh Bonanno. Josh Bonanno. Josh Bonanno. Bonanno. So he had a he had a quote like back when you would do uh, that, that like clubhouse. clubhouse app and stuff like that. He just had this fantastic quote that yep. I wrote down. I don't have it in front of me, so like I'll probably butcher that as well. But it's essentially like your like your sound is your community. We interrupt this podcast for a special message from Josh Bonanno. Hey guys, uh, I'm Josh Bonanno. Josh, Josh Bonanno. Josh Bonanno. Josh Bonanno. Josh Bonanno. Bonanno. Um, yeah, I think my my current thought really is that the community that you're a part of and the people you make music with is is really what creates a sound, um, whatever that may be, whatever that interpretation of quote-unquote sound may be. But yeah, I think the community is what influences, you know, the sonic characteristic of of the music in the at the end of the day. So yeah. That's what's going on. Phenomenal. We now return back to the podcast. Yeah. Like your community of uh, of producers engineers mix engineer like like all of that to include yourself that is your sound so me personally um i don't mind having excuse me i <laughs> i don't want this podcast to me burping man like i don't know what it is i don't burp this much in regular day life it might be the tea i always drink um anyway um yeah, I try my best to not have a sound. But like I get it if like something just kind of needs like like moved in a certain in a certain direction or whatnot. I try to uh cater to that as transparently as possible. It's like don't get me wrong, it's like I'm using tubes and stuff like that and um it's like it's 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 just gonna happen as far as like like the API twenty five hundred, it's like that thing has a tone. There's a ton of slap and punch to it. So it's like me personally, I don't try to go out of my way to have a tone. I'm not saying that's what you said you do. Um, I don't try to go out of my way to do that. I more try to enhance what is already there in a mix while really leaning into what I believe the artist's and like the engineer's intent for this music is. So I just try to lean into it. And I mean, I, when I get it, I get, to me, it is a client-approved master. It's like from that first interview with Brad Blackwood, it was one of the, um, one of like the little like hallmark things that just really stuck in my head. Like those like three words, client-approved master. And I just try to once again just lean in and then perhaps like enhance a little bit and then while enhancing part of that is I don't want to I want you to be able to turn this thing as loud as you want without fatiguing yourself. Mm-hmm. I can't do that with everything, but I can get there. I mean, 99% of the time I can get there. Um so I don't know, as far as the sound goes, it's kind of that. Um, but what's what's interesting is I do have people who come to me, um, and I, I guess you can kind of notice, because you and I, I think I copied your checklist um, many years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, I think 
like I'll even go back and forth and you and I will just talk about checklists like yeah hey what's working for you what's not working for you and so like you and I will just bounce stuff off each other um and I wouldn't say we're competition at all I would just say that you and I are colleagues yeah um and I feel like a lot of the sonic references if you see so- like similar sonic references you could one could deduce that that is the sound mm-hmm. that people attribute to you. So, like, I see a lot of, um, I think I've said this before. I see a lot of like Chris Stapleton. I saw, I see a lot of Jason Isbell. I see a lot of um, like Rustin Kelly. And so, I don't know. Maybe people think that that's the that's the tone I give. Which I love all of those artists. I think so that's I your no- sound. <laughs> You do? Yeah. I mean, I love I love indie, I love country music, I love like indie rock and all that stuff. So all that stuff is right up my alley. And I see it like on the female side, I see a lot of like Casey Musgraves and stuff like that. And so I totally lean into that and I'll do whatever I can to really deliver on that. Um, so I try my best to do it transparently. Um but it's like also it's like I want to make things sparkle a bit, and so it's like when I deliver stuff, it's like um, it's going to be at ninety six. Like when it came in, I'm going to upsample it. I'm not doing a pitch and catch system. Um, I don't even want to really get into it. Um, I think it's well, it is a pure way to do um, sample rate conversion and everything. With how good modern sample rate conversion is, with I would say like there there was one that Weiss came out with. I never used it. Um I use RX for mine and I think it does an absolutely fantastic job. <clears throat> and with how good it is, I'm not going to say you that you don't need a pitch and catch system because you know people who do that absolutely love it. Um but uh it's just it's just not really where I'm at and I I've debated doing it, so uh, maybe talk to me in 10 years. Maybe I'm, I'm in a little bit different of a place, but <clears throat> upsampling to 96 and then running all of my, running that 90, like that whole session at 96 through the outboard gear and everything. And you can even look at like the the print and RX versus like the original thing. And it's like you're adding like this harmonic distortion. You're add, adding this like this goodness to this record and you can like visibly see like the little bit of headroom that you're doing everything at. So I, everything's up sampled to 9624. Um, you get stuff in 32. I'm going to get so much hate mail for this. You get stuff in 32. To me, it's not really worth it because analog gear, I don't think any analog gear handles 32 bit stuff. Um, I could be completely wrong as far as like my crane song head, 24 bits as high as it goes, and I'm completely fine with 24 bit. So, um, yeah, and then it just hangs there. And then whenever I deliver, I just sample back down for all the other uh, resolutions that I deliver at. But it's like just like putting that little tiny sparkle on it and just giving that like that. Uh, that high res file, you're not going to be able to use it everywhere, but just being able to give that like a little bit of extra attention and stuff like that. To me, it's like, like the devil is in the details and I just, I'm, I'm a details guy and I get lost in the details. Like when I was in military school, like at, in college, I'd be like, 
focusing on this like really stupid part of my room for like a room inspection while like the rest of the room looked like complete trash. <laughs> and it's just like, it, I just get lost in the details and just, uh, it's just something that I absolutely love. It's why I like obsess over cabling and um, like even down to like power cables. It's like, it's it's all got to be a certain way and everything. It's probably why I'm, why I'm a mastering engineer. It's like, you know, you, you you do the whole, like what the, the one K tone and you're checking left and right on things. And mm-hmm. it mean, at least once a week, I normally will do just about every, every morning when I come in, I'll check gear, especially if it was off over the weekend and I come in and I turn it on. Um, like I normally will turn it on Sunday night, come in Monday morning, I'll run a tone when I first get in and just check, hey, how far off is it off of like this? I'll say if we're passing that 1K tone at like at minus 20, okay, well, let's just, okay, well, that kind of dips down to like minus 19.6 and we engage that. And, but it's there on both channels. Is that fine? Are we going to make that up? Is something going to happen? Or is it going to be a thing to where like, no, we really need to go in and adjust this. And so for like, for that little bit, like, am I going to pull the Varimu out of the rack? Probably not to me. That's an acceptable dip, and it's not going to be anything that anyone's going to hear, and I know how it's going to be made up a little bit, like, further on down in the chain. And, I mean, tubes are going to tubes are gonna sway on just about, like, any time you go to check it. So yeah. it's never going to be perfect with tubes. If the Neve or the foot control system or the Masalik is off, and it's off by a lot... It's like, yeah, we need to pull this or not use it today. That's why the, the I have the backs that just sitting in the back of my room. Um, I really need to send it in, and I need to call because Dangerous doesn't have on their website a little, like, hey, for service, check here. Maybe I'm just missing it. Um, but there's a relay that totally was not working. And you can like hear it skipping when you go to when you go to flip it, and then I pulled it up in that plug-in doctor that's running like click tones through it. Mm-hmm. And you go and you engage... Um, that filter set, and then you do 0.5, and only one channel uh, uh, attenuates. Hmm. And you can see the other channel just hanging down there. So that right there, it's like, I love those little details. So if I had a tone, it'd be like like attention to detail and trying to... Yeah. Trying to make sure, like I hate, like like the revisions that I hate is like if somebody comes back about like if if I missed something, the, that's the stuff I lament on. It's like okay, yeah, you want the kick louder? Okay, yeah, sure, I can I can make that louder. That's that's not a revision that like I have an issue with. With me, it's like these like little tiny things. It's like oh, well, like I don't know if you have like tubes that like kind of get noisy and it's like right about time to change it. And like I don't know, I call them farts. So like you'll just have like a little like. And like the tube will just, I don't know what it does, but it's just like occasionally maybe in one channel, that one tube is being weird. And so you just need to, you just need to fix it. And you got a little tube fart there. And so, yeah. And so I don't know. Normally if I do hear it, I have a spare set and I can just like kind of test and see which one it is, see when stuff goes away or something. There's several ways you can test for things. Yeah. But yeah, I don't like tube farts. But if I hear one, normally I'll be like, okay, I gotta, I'd make a note like I gotta RX out the little tube fart. <laughs> so, and I have a, I have a, even a little thing on my like things to remember about this thing, like all my little analog recall. So, tube fart. Tube this fart. song at one minute thirty four seconds. So, have you ever had a tube fart, Sam? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing when it happens in front of other people. So you got to catch it before, right? <laughs> Smelly too. So. <laughs> 
so bad. Hopefully not. If they're smelly, that means you're burning fire. some electrical wires. And <laughs> I had in uh, the second studio I had, I had lightning that struck the house that Ooh. went to, I think it was a crown amp that I had that was driving a pair of t- tannoys that I had at the time and fried the living heck out of the amp to where smoke My. was coming out of it. That's no and good. That is a smelly fart, <laughs> but not a tube fart. If you have a tube fart, you got some other stuff going on. <laughs> Unplug that. Okay, I'm sorry. That, I said dialogue at the beginning. I totally yeah, lied you to you monologued. and the listeners. I'm sorry. I guess I just had a lot to say. It's got a lot, a lot of gas to get out. A lot of I lip, guess so. lip flapping. Did you ever want to do like like the tape route or like like a really, I don't know, like a really like vibey kind of a thing? Was that ever in your wheelhouse? Well, I think that's, yeah, I think it still is. Like, that's why I bought the Overstayer MAS because it's, its mm. whole uh, purpose is to mimic tape console uh, compression saturation and curves, mm. filter curves. So that's what I use for that. Um, you know, but I don't do at this stage, like, I don't do a ton of like low fi indie stuff, you know, or like super. If someone's like, I love I want, all that. Right. That's, that's what I say is your sound. Like, I do a lot more top 40, like pop, pop, bedroom pop, mm. band pop, whatever. You know, I really do playlist music, honest, like editorial playlists, like New Music Friday, that. Anything that is popular and trendy is kind of what I work on and what I enjoy working on. Normally, because it's honestly super happy, and I like working on happy music. Like that goes back a long time of like, I like working on happy, upbeat music more so than working on sad, depressing emo music. And it's, I don't know, I just enjoy if I'm going to listen to music all day. I want to work on like ear candy, bubblegum, pop, trap, rap, like fun stuff. And that's bled into country, Christian, just about every genre at this stage, you know, compared to when I started. I feel like 10 years ago when I started, there was pretty clear definition of like, this is country, this is CCM, this is indie folk songwriter, this is pop, this is rap, and then this is like, the new track. Now you have like out. country blending with hip hop. Right. So it worked out. That one to me nice is the least me. surprising. <laughs> yeah. What is it called when you have like like the two foods that weren't supposed to find each other that found each other in a restaurant? Fusion. Fusion. That yeah. right there is like the fusion that yeah. I think was like the easiest to call. Cause if you ever go out to like, like, I don't know, like the middle of nowhere where <laughs> you have, I, I mean that with love. Right. Like if you go out to the middle of nowhere, um, there, where like your cell phone has like no signal, yeah, and where you're on like some like not n- not regular cell service, um, like like everyone there has like five bars, and you're like, I have nothing, and it's like <laughs> you're like Verizon or AT and T is just like, yeah, we don't cover here. It's like ninety nine percent of the coverage is. Yeah, we have America covered. And it's like, that. that is the one part of America that is not covered. Yeah, If you ever go there, there are two types of radio stations. There's country and there's hip-hop. Yeah. So that to me was the most, like, like that was destined 
right. to happen. Well, country so, people like to party. Like, yeah. And the rap scene is the most party scene ever, even though to me, like country festivals, people throw down. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it is, just, that's a party, you know, compared to like the rap scene when I'm at shows or stuff. Like, the country festivals are out of control. People just having a real good time from 9 a.m. to, you know, midnight every day. I like those people. Yeah. So I would probably like, I don't know, I just don't lean towards like tape machine, you know, lo-fi or vintage, you know, sounding just because I don't really want to work on that type of music per se. But I do, Mm -hmm. I mean, I do a decent amount of indie stuff, but a lot of indie stuff now sounds sonically like pop. It's just like singer-songwriter, but sonically it mimics pop. So, mm. you know, or there's still digital programming within it and acoustic guitars. So I would say, you know, I don't ever... Currently, I'm not planning on getting a tape machine or anything like that. And I'm planning on furthering my... You know, to be honest, like pigeonholing myself is honestly kind of what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, because I I really only like to work with with music I like because it's why I feel like I do my best work then is when I'm, when I hear a song or I I'm working with a new mixer and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this mixer is like just nailing the, the sound, you know, that I look for, I like to work on. Then I, I almost always try and figure out how do I, how do I become the mastering engineer here? If they're shopping around or the budget's not right or whatever, you know, I'll invest into the client, which we've talked about rates and stuff. But I found over the years, at least in Nashville, so it's it's specific, but like having a sound for me and focusing on my sound or finding mixers that make the type of records I want has dramatically propelled my career in Nashville because when I started, I didn't necessarily try and be like, oh, I'll just be the country CCM guy. Like I was pretty clear with people that I liked pop and rap. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to focus on in town. And when I started here eight, nine years ago, there wasn't a lot of that at all going on. And so I kind of struggled, but I just kept searching for people that were making that music. And then I saw it pick up speed. And then, like we were saying, like stuff started to shift, country started to shift, and CCM started to shift. Everything was chasing this pop. And really, it was like everybody's chasing rap, and everybody still is chasing rap. Like rap mm. music is always two to three years ahead sonically. That doesn't mean everything becomes rap, but people start stealing 808s and hi hats and trap patterns and, you know, melodic flows and they slow down the melody of a rap song to make it more pop or whatever. Like you can find people stealing from rap all the time. But I've found, or more so maybe in influencing is stealing is probably a heavy word, influencing. Um but having a sound to me has brought clarity to people in town and also to myself on how to market. And then from there, the clarity as well has helped me really figure out what pieces of gear and even signal chain do I want to have to best enhance that sound for my clients. Mm. So when I, over the last few years, <clears throat> have really honed in on you know, clients I work with, you know, the the 20 or 30 mixers that are just constantly every month sending me stuff. And there's like a dozen that are just every other day sending me stuff. You know, I start to hear their sound and I have on some level shaped my signal chain to complement their sound, whether or not they know it or not. But 
I've found for me to best serve my clients, um, I have to know their sound and know how that how that feeds into my gear and then how I complement, you know, as the gear is an extension of me and and what I hear in my in my head sound. So I have to marry that sound with their sound to get this final sound that is competitive in the market we're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found, you know, should your mastering engineer have a sound, I think it circles back for me to to the idea of um, you know, the community as we're stealing from Josh, which he'll get credit for this because I'm gonna sound bite him in. Um, <laughs> you know, creates your sound a lot, which I fully agree, and I love that idea. And then also from there, for me to best serve my clients, I have tried and clarified what my sound is, pick signal chains that match that sound so they can make money essentially and compete. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important for you to maybe not necessarily have a sound, but understand what your sound sounds like so you can better market it to people and more so serve people and help them make better records. So I listen when I hear mixes, I listen for mixes that I can now go, oh, this would sound great with the Poltex and blah, blah, blah. And often I'll tell people, like, I know exactly what to do with this. And when I tell them that, it's not like a marketing thing. It's like, no, I know exactly mm-hmm. what to do to this. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. like, let's knock this out. Like, no problem. And there's plenty of projects at this stage where I say, like, I can do this, but this isn't really what I work on. You know, mm-hmm. or it's just, I don't, the the mix is not my style. Or they want, if someone comes to me wanting me to do nothing, if they say the mix is done, then I'm always like, well, you don't need me. Like, I'm not here to necessarily change anything, but I really have yet to find, I'll say, a mix that couldn't be better with mastering at this stage. Um, the 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 quality to me is degrading <laughs> over over time because people are working in inferior environments. So I have a lot of awesome mixers, but there is a ton of music now that I hear that I'm like, mastering engineers or quality control is needed more than ever. Like, yeah, it really, especially, I mean, we've beaten bottom end like a freaking dead horse, but I will stay in business strictly because people don't know what their bottom end sounds like. And if I can rearrange that or bounce it out back for them, they get a much better, bigger, and in more ways, like a better low end by rebalancing the low end with everything else. So, you know, I think for me, my sound is very much dictated by my mixers, but I also am a corrective person, not in a cutting way, but I'm a booster. So, you know, I boost till my problems go away most of the time. And, you know, that is part of my sound too. Like, I know there are things I do that shape people's mixes and it sounds like my records. But also if I go through my discography, there's a lot of different in as far as um, sonic comparison. But that's pretty typical of most people, even like a CLA mixer or a Serban, you can go down their discography or even master engineers and you can hear differences. Like if you're in a decent room, you're going to, it, it will sonically sound different. But there is some sort of, uh, it's almost like more of a feeling. Like I feel like a lot of my songs feel similar. They may not sound mm-hmm. similar, but they feel similar. And that's what I think like with 
these mixers or master engineers that you know have been around for 20, 30 years, their stuff may not always sonically sound the same. Like the low end may not be here and scooped here and you know top and sparkle here, but it, they all kind of have the same feeling, which I think is more so to me probably what we bring to the table is more of a feeling than a sound or the the feeling becomes the sound. And of course, what I'm saying is like an ambiguous <laughs> moving target of, you know, why it's kind of so hard to distinguish. Do you have a sound? How do you create a sound? What is your sound? Um, but yeah, I think for most people, they don't realize that their sound is heavily influenced by the person right in front of them and in front of them. And so you need to be diligent in surrounding yourself with people that make records you like because their sound represents your sound. And most people don't think about that. Like, And then they put out records and they're like, I don't really like the way my record sounds or they're embarrassed to show people. Mm-hmm. You know, Some master engineers I help out when they're first starting, they'll be like, the mix isn't really good and I don't really like this and it's out and... I don't really want to show people that. And that's kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> it does reflect you poorly on some level. Um, but also on the same level, if the song is not great or the the person who, the artist is not marketing it, then no one's ever going to hear it. Like, it's not going to really uh, help you, but it's not necessarily going to be, uh, you know, just don't put it in you. your demo reel. Right. Don't put it in your discography or just know that. The twelve people that are going to hear it don't are not going to look up who worked on it anyway, so it's irrelevant. Yeah. Like, so you know that's that's a whole different other discussion. But anyway, those are my thoughts on sound. It's like you don't you don't have to promote it. Like, right. you're not being paid to promote somebody's music. Exactly. You can, of course, like show like, hey, I worked on this, but right. You don't have to go out of your way to like promote something you feel uncomfortable with. I mean. If something is like, like by the time it gets to you, if like the project's hands are tied, like, but like the money's good. And so you go and you work on it. It's just like, cool. Appreciate it. They have what they paid for and they have a probably as good of a sounding record as it could possibly be. Right. Because you worked on it. But I mean, when it comes out, you like nothing says you have to promo it. Nothing says you have to like throw it on your demo reel. There's a bunch of stuff I worked on when I was like starting out that I wasn't super proud of, and the, the the thing is, is that it's not always a direct reflection of your ability. It's it could be a direct reflection of like, I mean, the budget. If it was just like a super low budget thing, then it's like, of course, it's not going to like come out sounding incredible. If it does, good. Um, but I would say that's uh, few and far between. But so. Yeah, so I would I'd say that's a lot of that's a lot of tone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to stop recording at like 38 minutes, but it's just like I was trying to think if we got anywhere else to go with tone. Um yeah. I mean, I kind of said everything I wanted to say. <laughs> I kind of said everything I had written down. I had said everything that I kind of, that that I had to say. Um look at us. Shoot, we're gonna go to thirty minute podcast now. I mean, if, I think uh, uh, we go can, ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I think we can kind of wrap up, but also, well, I, I kind of wa- I want to yeah, figure a way to like add a little more value to this as well. Um, 
And it's like I don't I, I want to make sure this is like an intentional thing and not like like filler. And I guess if I were to like ask you a question though, it yes. would be okay, so say that say that somebody comes to you and like they say, Okay, yeah, you have creative liberty with this, or like what are ways that you necessarily add tone? So like mm. for instance, I had somebody come to me recently saying, Hey, like in this like revision, and it's like like the this is like pre-chorus to chorus. They wanted the chorus to hit harder, but it's like everything was kind of around the same level in the mix, and so it was like a little interesting. And I'm still waiting for the revision to be approved. I haven't heard back yet or anything. Something I never do. I don't ever use that like isotope ozone maximizer. Yeah, but I was like. Man, let's just kind of see what happens. And so like I just kind of automated it in right at that point and I was like, you know, we kind of get a little extra oomph here. Let's let's kind of see where let's kind of see where this goes. And it's not like really that much of a shot in the dark. It's like I know that that can work. Right. But it's like if you wanted to add tone to something and if you did like want to go out of your way to be like, yeah, this is the tone that I add. Is there anything that you would be willing to divulge <laughs> that you generally do to add that tone? 100%. And so is, is this like, it, I, I want to make sure this is like intentional as opposed to be like, hey, let's see if we can stretch this another few minutes. Because I feel like we just went over the whole like theory behind having a tone. Right. And it's like, okay, if we were to expand on this idea beyond just kind of like you and me talking about it, like what... Like, like, how then would we apply this information? Yeah, and so, like, what do you do as far as adding tone? Do you think this? Do you think this is a good direction? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I can. Okay, I don't really have any secrets. Like, a lot of my tone or energy, if I want to add, when when I want to add energy, I usually think saturation. So. That could be in the form of the Better Maker color section. That could be in the form of the Overstayer harmonics. That could be in the form of uh, in the box Oxford inflator, Oxford limiter, and using them really just for their enhanced section. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are two plugins I still adore and think no no hardware does what they do. Um, and it usually sometimes it'll be. Uh, it's contrasting like that to me over the last few years has really become a thought in my head of contrasting of, well, everything can't be bright because then nothing will sound bright. Everything can't be loud because then nothing will sound loud. So for me, you know, my tone, when people want me to bring energy, I make sure the song has contrast. So Mm. it could be more saturation in the chorus than the verse, or it could be filtering, you know, low end or top end off and then opening it up in certain sections or it could be uh, automating a shelf in and out like contrast to me is just another way of bringing in dynamics and emotion to an already really loud record um, to make it not feel so stagnant or the biggest thing I get honestly is people's courses sound smaller than the verses like Mm -hmm. the vocal is sitting perfect in the verse and sounds really nice and clean and up front. And then the chorus kicks in and that vocal just gets pumped back into everything because usually the vocal is sitting out front. So 
that gets attenuated first. So when the compressor kicks in on people's mix buses on the choruses, then the vocal gets smashed 3, 4 dB in with everything else. And then all of a sudden, it feels like the whole energy left the song. So I might automate frequencies of the vocal to be quieter in the verse and then remove that. Or I might boost, just boost the chorus up, you know, and automate the verse down as a whole. So those are how I create tones, you know, pushing things into outboard gear creates tone usually. And if you push it too hard, it overdrives it and it becomes crunchy and really distorted, which is usually what people Mm -hmm. don't want. But if I was to add tone, that's kind of where I would start. And a lot of tone for me, honestly, is just EQ. Like I'm obsessed with Mm -hmm. EQ balance and like I was just saying, contrasting. And I rely on EQ more than anything for my Same. energy, you know. And I feel that I can't get great energy until the track is actually pretty balanced and flat in theory. And then I can manipulate the EQ via compression limiting saturation and make it kind of dance with that. So um, you're an EQ before compression guy. No, I'm a limit first, <laughs> then EQ. Then oh, okay. compress limit, then EQ. I'm a I'm a stacker usually. That's my my sound. Well, there's the whole like adage like EQ compress or compress EQ. Right. Depending on I like to limit first because I think it smooths out the track more for my EQ. So usually whatever's of course uh most loud in the mix will get attenuated with the limiter first, and then I will make that up with boosting like a recovery essentially. But at that stage, then all of that is more loud more often. So usually it's either bottom end and vocal or bottom end vocal together is both being attenuated first by the limiter, kick drum, snare, vocal. So say those things get attenuated a couple dB, well then I follow it up with massive passive or pull text and you know, I will boost those things back up, those fundamental frequencies or where I think kind of the magic is. So then I'm just boosting all that stuff, which all that those areas, the kick is now more loud more often, the vocal is, snare is, so all the character of all those things are even more loud now than before, and now I'm enhancing them with tubes or transistors, so they're just getting even fatter and reintroducing some dynamics to then be hit again, and then EQ'd again, and then in the box, usually fab filter limiter just catching something, and that's it, you know, it's... As that's far as that, the tone. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's. I mean, that's like my sound. Of course, there's a million ways to, you know, do that. You know, everybody's using EQs and limiters, but it's. I don't know. I've just created a system that I feel like really makes people's stuff sound like their mix on steroids, and people usually really like that. <laughs> so, as far as um, that first limiter goes, yeah. And as far as gain reduction as a function of that limiter working, not like what you're turning up and turning down, because we know that happens. Yeah. But as far as like a function of the limiter working and gain reduction, how much are you generally removing from that mix? Like how hard is that limiter being hit? Like zero to two dB. Okay. Yeah. I've always been curious. I've never asked you. Yeah. Yeah, that's about where it is. And then, you know, I'll EQ again, which honestly, when you meter it, I've reintroduced even more dynamics, actually. Yeah. So 
Say a mix is at negative six dynamic range. I smash it again to smooth some stuff out or add saturate or whatever I like about, you know, usually it's the better maker limiter, mastering limiter. So then it's even more loud, but then when it hits the EQ, I am reintroducing new information and it's opening the dynamics. So it might be back to like negative eight dynamic range then. Mm. And then I'll compress or limit again, then EQ again, then finish with the fab filter. So, and the fab filter is just doing zero to, you know, half dB or dB, whatever mm. is slipping through. Um, usually never more than that. So, but then at that, that stage, I mean, it's plenty loud. Like my mixers are sending me really loud things. So, and yeah. when we say loud, of course, compression. Um, which is great. In RMS, what are you typically getting? Like, not not you like re- sending back, but like, as far as like my mixers are sending me loud things. Like, how loud are you generally getting stuff? RMS RMS wise is usually very similar to their dynamic range, or maybe a little more because it's a bit more bass heavy. Usually, people usually send me too much low end. I feel like more than anything. Hmm, I'm the opposite or boomy kind of feeling. Probably, no, but like it's, it's like an RMS value. Yeah, like negative four. They're sending it to you at negative four or minus four? Yeah. Holy crap. And then dynamic range might be like negative six. That's loud. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> minus to, four RMS. Welcome to popular top 40 playlist music. <laughs> I understand why you do what you do now. <laughs> yeah. So Huh. I don't necessarily try and make it quieter ever. I just yeah. I just make the loudness sound better. Like that's yeah. where the energy comes from cuz most of the mixes I get the tone is dead. Like it's not it, it yeah. sounds great, but it I know what it could sound like, which is why people hire me. Like I don't I know to- exactly why you do what you do now. Great. <laughs> I never understood why you did what you did. And I was like, yeah, Sam's just Sam. He's just doing things. I 100% understand why you're doing what you're doing now. Excellent. Even like like a few weeks ago, I was like mowing my grass, listening to this podcast, just like reviewing a episode that hasn't aired yet. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know why the heck he does that, but I'm glad that I know somebody who does something different than me. <laughs> now I know exactly why you do that. There you I go. Feel, Three, four years. In. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've just never asked. It's, yeah. it's a lot of life is about asking the right questions, and hundred percent. I just never asked that question. Well, there so, you go. I just thought it was you being you. Like, well, right. it is me being me. <laughs> yeah, but this is more out of like necessity, man. This is like if I get something at minus four, yeah. Guess the first thing I'm going to pull out too. Don't so. Know. It's going to probably be closer to what you're doing as opposed to what I'm currently doing because like you you have to turn something down because if right. you try to go out of the box at minus 4 well, yeah. it's not going to happen. It's going to be a crunchy mess. It's like all your gear is just like like you go through say you normally go through a compressor for tone right. but you're not compressing for any compressing anything. Right. If it's like a very mute compressor that needle is going to be swinging. Right. And well that's why it's I, like I, if you have gear that do doesn't is... have like a super amount of he- like a super amount of headroom. Right. Then you, that thing's just going to be all crackly and crunchy, right? And that's why I knock things down. Like I 100 percent get 10 it. 10 to 20 dB immediately. You have to, right? You have no choice. Well, yeah, that's why I do what I do. <laughs> and so you're starting at like minus 15. Yeah, 
even though okay. they're sending me, you know, pin to zero, essentially. Yeah, but you have to. Right. It's great. Yeah. It's all and fine. And so, like, where, where I get stuff is typically... Um, I normally get stuff like around minus 18, minus 15. Like, in all honesty, a loud mix for me is like minus 12 to minus 10. Yeah, I never, I have not seen that in like. <laughs> I guess that's ever. a difference in like in indie <laughs> right. to top 40. <laughs> so that's funny. And there are some, there are some of my mixers who all get stuff like. I'll get rock tunes that like it's just like a like a verse that like my like in the th- minus thirties, and I was like y'all mix quiet, <laughs> and so, but that gets into an interesting issue, and this is there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know how you do it, but there's like it gets into an interesting issue of uh, of noise floor because it's everything's like kind of recorded like that, and the amount of um room that we really have to make up for this rock tune to really sit where I know you want it to sit and I'm going to get a revision if I don't deliver it there. Yeah. Then we have like a real interesting thing of if we're like around like let's for round numbers, let's say minus 30. We're like the chorus of these might be like low 20s. Um like the loudest chorus. If you're like at minus 30, I got to make up at least 24 dB of gain yeah. of level. And it's just like, holy moly. And I mean, this is all talking RMS. I, we, we don't, I'm, I'm not really talking LUFs. And Sam and I have also kind of found out that like LUFs and RMS are pretty similar if the mix is good. Um, and yes. They're, they're, they're close. They're not like, like spot on. Yeah, when you're at final level. Yeah. But anyway, Luffs is like Luffs is, is like a, metric, and this is America, so yeah. we're going to stick with RMS right yeah. now for this conversation. Um, <laughs> Europe has entered the chat. It's pretty much the rest <laughs> of the world has entered the chat. It's like America and Papua New Guinea and like one other remote island. <laughs> it's the only people <laughs> use standard. So whatever. We, I, we, there are a few people that I chat with about metric stuff. <sighs> All right. So I think that's tone. That's tone. Should have mastered it. Here, just real quick. Yes. Last question. Okay. Like you can answer it in three words. Should a mastering engineer have tone? Yes. And mine is it depends. So you know, <laughs> typical, <laughs> typical mastering answer. So, all right. Um, Sam likes to have tone. I like to try to not, but I don't mind having a tone. So, anywho. I guess that's it. We that made it great. to almost an hour. There you go. I got to I got to go here soon. You got to go here soon. So, <laughs> yes. queuing up from the background, our only and ever will be only sponsor, bezabeats.com <laughs> has a sweet beat for us. Cue by the one and only Sam Moses. This would be your like 103rd beat something. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know how you do it. And please feel like no obligation to ever do special effects on my behalf. If you just like say screw it one week and just don't want to do that, but just throw the episode together, just feel free to do that. No, 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 no. Make it just like this dry, boring. We're gonna keep it going because I have fun with it. Well, we appreciate <laughs> you doing it. Well, thank so, anywho, you. 
If you like any of the, the, the beats, any of the other stuff going on, I believe you can buy them from Sam. He's over at like beesabeats.com and uh, you can just shoot him a DM. He'll probably just send you one. Just send him, send him some Venmo money. <laughs> probably for the low price of like, I don't know, like like a thousand dollars a beat, you know, something like something in that range. It is so. right around that range, honestly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anywho, um, yeah, if you need a mastering engineer, Sam is a mastering engineer. I'm a mastering engineer. We would love to be your mastering engineer. Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. I should have had you do the outro. You're doing the outro next time. Uh, I have done 103 outros, and I have, yeah. Yeah, that's wild, actually. <laughs> yeah, you've never done an outro. Never, never, You probably stumble over the outro. Yeah, now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, crap. Well, how do we do an outro? <laughs> how would I ever do an outro? Probably the same way I did housekeeping. <laughs> No sequin jacket here. This is like pedal to the floor. We're heading out of here. I got to get home for dinner. Mm -hmm. You got to probably go fire up the grill. Mm -hmm. Go hang out with Biggie. Yes. All right. So let's get out of here. Go. Um, Yeah. Once again, if you like the show, drop us like, comment. (laughs) Um, Just shoot us a DM. Just say, hey, I like that show. That show did not suck. That would be great. Um, Yeah. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having. Have a darn good one. Appreciate y'all hanging around for this one. Uh, cue the music. Cue it. Thank you. Bye. See y'all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> We're weird. <laughs> <laughs>